everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Doug Upberg, who is the host of the Terminal Value Podcast, also terminalvaluepodcast.com. And today we're going to talk all about his journey into becoming a podcast host and business consultant that he is. Um, I'm excited to talk to him. And as some of you guys will see on, in, on social media, I was recently on his podcast. So yeah. thank you for having me, Alexa. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I love just talking to people and yeah. I loved being on your podcast. So I wanted to learn the backstory of it. Sure, sure. So um, so it, it's kind of funny. I'm going to go, I'll go on a little tangent, but I promise I'll keep it to 30 seconds or less. No um, problem. So when, when, when you say backstory, it reminds me of being a kid, you know, go, you're reading comics because I think yeah. the thing that makes like the good comics, especially like the Marvel comics um, kind of really memorable is that the, the characters have some kind of backstory that kind of really feeds into what makes them who they are. Yeah. You know, this is right, you know, the, you know, the reason why P Peter Parker is Spider-Man, right? He feels residual never-ending guilt because he could have, because his uncle Ben died, because he could have stopped it, but he didn't because he was mad at somebody because they cheated about him money or something like that. <laughs> um, but, but, but anyway, getting into my backstory. Um, so I'm actually a corporate convert. Uh, so I graduated, I finished undergrad in finance in the year 2000 from Portland State University. And I know a lot of people uh, throughout my career told me, well, Doug, you know, you have way too much personality for finance, which in retrospect, I think it probably was the case. You know, the reason why I self-selected into finance is because I have a strong quantitative skill set. Uh, however, every, uh, every Myers-Briggs I've ever taken has come out ENTJ. Every disc of assessment I've ever taken has come out DI. Um, well, I am you bring... not made to be in a in an introverted career. <laughs> but you can bring out your extrovertedness and your personality to finance. Well, and and that, that that that's what I tried to do to a certain extent. Although the thing <laughs> that I found is that when you when you when you take when you put in because when you put put an extrovert into a introverted career path, one of two things happens: either a you get put in charge, or b you get un, or b you kind of get uh, you 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 get thrown under the bus by the people who are in charge because they view you as a threat. And so I've had both happen. Okay. Um, you know, but but of course, you know, option B tends to be very disruptive to your career. Um, so anyway, I was at an enormous tech company uh, in the Portland, Oregon area. Anybody who's familiar with the Portland area will certainly know who I'm talking about. Um, but then what I did was, you know, I did the whole, you know, corporate career thing, you know, promotion, all that yeah. kind of stuff for about 17 ish years. And then I ended up going to a company called uh, Lattice Semiconductor or actually, I suppose I should have said another tech company, but well, okay. I'll just, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> the big tech company was Intel Corporation, Chipzilla as they're known in the industry. And Lattice Semiconductor is a much, much, much smaller semiconductor manufacturer. So it's all tech sector, you know, uh, finance and Intel. And I was actually the information technology program management office director over at um, Lattice Semi, which seems, it seems kind of weird going from finance to information technology, but my last five, six years in finance, I worked, uh, I was managing a data system team. And uh, when I was doing program management at Lattice, uh, essentially what I was doing was keeping all of the IT projects straight. Mm -hmm. And I was also the owner of the IT budget because the chief information officer who hired me, he did not like having to deal with that. And so he really liked having somebody he could delegate to. So oddly enough, I still ended up doing finance even when I was in IT. 
<laughs> uh, so yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm there for a couple of years. And what ends up happening is he, uh, the, the person who hired me, he ends up going on what they call early retirement, which is a really nice way of saying that he got fired with a package. And oh. then a, you know, he, he, he basically got a buyout package and got sent on the road. Uh, and so a new guy, a new uh, chief information officer comes in out of the Bay Area. And what he decides to do was he decides to get rid of all the people who he thought were too close to the chief financial officer, who was his boss. And I was number one on that list because since I was the one who, you know, who ran our budget and did all the executive presentations, I probably spent, I actually probably did more FaceTime with executives than my boss did because he hated it. And I, you know, and of course that's, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that yeah. I do. Um, and so, but anyway, it was April 20th of the year 2020. I just hit, I hit the pavement. I had a half hour meeting that came on my uh, calendar uh, with only about an hour of notice and no subject. And I said, okay, this is weird or whatever. I'll log in and just says, okay, well, uh, as you know, we have budget constraints. So your position's been eliminated. HR shows up on the phone and says, okay, we're set, we're sending details about your package, your personal email, and then network access is cut off. I get a box in the mail to send my, my laptop back. That's it. Um, you know, and so it's, you know, it's about the least warm and fuzzy. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there, I actually, okay. Let, let, let me take that back. It is one of the least warm and fuzzies. I think when I, when I read That's about horrible. The, the thousand people at better.com who all got terminated at the same time over zoom, that's uh, th that's up there too. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, it's it just, it was just an utterly and completely dehumanizing experience, particularly when you consider that it was at like right at the height of the pandemic, when there were like 40 million people uh, yeah. who were all filing for unemployment at the same time. So, okay, kind of roll forward. And what I end up doing is, you know, I probably put in three or 400 applications, just nothing, right? You know, everything's yeah. locked up. And so I'm just like, okay, I, I don't know what the heck I'm going to end up doing here. Uh, and so I ended up, uh, what I ended up doing was I ended up working, uh, signing up with an organization that does expense reduction consulting, call it expense reduction analysts. Mm -hmm. And they're, uh, they're a franchise-based organization. So what they do is they have some people who specialize in certain cost categories, like things like telecom costs, or say like uh, your truck, you know, shipping and trucking or maintenance mm -hmm. and repair, et cetera. And they have other people who do business development, basically who network with uh, with business with the business decision makers and then uh, you know, send them up for projects. And the way that their model works is it's success fee based. So there's no upfront cost. It's basically what we do is we do projects and we only bill on a percentage of the achieved savings. Well, so mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I started up in. And then I, that, that's why I started my podcast. Cause I was like, well, I would rather do business development through podcasting yeah. as opposed to just, you know, just old school cold calling uh, that and a good friend of mine has had a podcast for a really long time. And it's been a really successful, you know, driver, you know, driver for his business. Yeah. Well, okay. And then, you know, of course, the, the problem with that type of uh, model, though, is that it can sometimes the business cycle could take a really long time. And yeah. so it's uh, the the interim cash flow ends up being a concern. So I've had a <laughs> number of I've taken a couple of contract roles, a couple of short term consulting roles. Um, you know, right now I'm also I'm also working 
with a um, with a uh, an IT resourcing company called ServerLogic uh, doing business development for their uh, you know for both their managed services division and also for their IT recruiting uh, recruiting arm. And there's also a couple of pre-revenue startups that I'm doing some work with as well. So my life has kind of turned into this uh, this hustle, uh, you know, the, the, the yeah. situation of juggling about four or five different hustles. Um, and but I, in a way, I kind of feel that it's sort of a metaphor for kind of what the um, for sort of what the emerging growth workforce economy is and will be looking like. Um, yeah. Because I think that, you know, especially because, you know, as the inevitable recession comes, because, you know, we've, we, we, we've all seen it, there is a recession coming, interest rates are increasing, that it, it is going to happen eventually. And I think when that happens, there's going to be a lot of people who are displaced from their career path and hopefully a more humane manner than I was, than I was, yeah. but still, nonetheless, they'll still be looking, they'll have me be needing to figure out what they need to do. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to say, okay, well, I think I want to try to figure out how to do my own thing. Well, you know, as you and I both know, that's a lot harder than it seems at first yes. blush. You know, when I look back on it, I'm like, you know, maybe I would have just been happier just keeping going until I tried to, tried to find another corporate gig. I mean, that's actually not true. I'm really glad that I, that you know, I, I basically decided, okay, hey, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to figure this thing out. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's a lot of people who are going to be kind of going through that uh, that career and uh, and self worth trauma because I think uh, for a lot of people they tie their self worth to their career. Yeah. And so whenever you have a career disruption, that career trauma also turns into self worth trauma. Yeah. Uh, which ends up being a double whammy. And I think a lot of people. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say a lot of people are not prepared to deal with it. I wasn't prepared to deal with it. I'm um, still not sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And. Uh, so, you know, but I think that, you know, the, the silver lining of something like that is that when you have that kind of major disruption to the status mm -hmm. quo, it, sh it sort of makes you really think about why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and, you know, in, in my case, you know, a, a part of the reason why I've decided that I really want to go down the entrepreneurial path, as they say, come hell or high water, uh, you know, is that, you know, at some point, you know, at some point in your career, say, if you're on a corporate path, you will get to the point where you have exceeded your shelf life. You know, if you're very, very fortunate, when that inevitable time comes, you will have enough saved up to where you don't have to go back to work anymore. Right. Um, however, the, if you are, as I like to say, a value obsessed leader, that, that that's the target uh, target audience for my my podcast, mm -hmm. value obsessed leaders. If you are a value obsessed leader, uh, as I like to think of myself to be, uh, you're the type of person who cannot not create value. And what I mean by yeah. that is, no matter what you do, you it, you have to be creating value in something all the time. Yeah. And so, in that case, it feels to me like it it, it is better to build that into a business as opposed to having it be a possibly accidental byproduct of a career. Just because the thing is, and you know, I've, I've been around the corporate gig long enough to know that there are some people, roles, companies that create exceptional amounts of value. And there are others that find ways to extract exceptional amounts of money with, you know, without commensurate value, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And so the, the guiding philosophy that I really take is that I, I really try to think about creating value uh, without, you know, kind of, I'm not going to say without regard to money, but without, you know, but without primary consideration of money, because I feel right. that if you create enough value, the money will find you. 
you know, exactly. Or, you know, or, you know the, the money will become, will, you know, will find you eventually if you create enough value. Similarly, if you pursue money without creating value, by definition, that, op, you know, that whatever that market anomaly is, it will disappear at some point. Right. And then you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure it out but, again yeah, and again yeah. and again until you, unless yeah. you could just yes. be a little less on the money yes. and more on the value. It might take a little longer, but it's going to be more beneficial in the long run. Yeah, more beneficial, more sustainable. I mean, and, you know, and the, the other thing, too, is that, you know, uh, if I'm, I'm just going to make the assumption that people listen to your podcast are also value oriented and you, if you're value oriented, it will be kind of more fulfilling because you, you, you will feel that you won't feel as much like you're, pun- you're pushing buttons on a keyboard. Right. Like you're not just checking in or like getting into work and checking out. It's yeah. like you're, it's like you're actually doing something that you love. Yes. Yeah. Well, and yeah, precisely, precisely. And so I think that's kind of the, that, that's the, I don't know if I'd say short version because <laughs> it went on a little bit, but that's kind of the compressed version of what took me to where I am right now. And, um, you know, and one of the things that I found that's really interesting is, right, you know, be a course, you know, coming through, right. I did my undergraduate in finance. I got my MBA, you know, I worked at a big company for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm, a, I think I'm pretty clever. I think I know a lot about business. Boy, let me tell you, when you start trying to do this thing on your own, you rapidly find out what you don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> so like, for example, you know, I'm trying to figure, okay, how do I go out and do business development? Well, it's, you know, in theory, business development is going out and talking to people. Okay, well, I can only be at one place at a time. <laughs> so how do I go and do business development in a way that I can um, meet the people that yeah. I need to be able to actually cre- actually write business? Well, you know, that gets tricky because you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, you build a network. Hey, that's awesome. It takes a really long time to build a network. Yeah. And because you're know, like getting a bunch of connections on LinkedIn, not that hard. Getting a bunch of people on LinkedIn who are actually willing to help you or make introductions, yes. much, much, much more difficult. Um, and <laughs> so you have to figure out how do you how do you pay the bills today while you are building your business for tomorrow? And that's the that, that's kind of the critical thing. Yeah, I think that's where I struggle too sometimes. It's like, yeah. I'm doing a lot and I'm adding value to people, but the money's mm-hmm. just not coming in. <laughs> yeah. It, so fast. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that the thing is that, you know, there are some people who, you know, who hit that money vein right away and I feel great for them. Um, you know, but the thing is, if, if you are starting a business and if it does take a while to monetize, that's okay. That's perfectly mm-hmm. natural. You know, you are going to have to figure out a way to, you know, you are going to have to figure that out eventually. But I think it's that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go on a little, do I have a rent, rent permission? Just like say two minute rent permission. Go for it. I like Okay. These. Okay. All right. So, so I have a little bit of a rant uh, that I, that I kind of want to go on here. And that is about how, you know, when you read people's social media profiles, whether it's, uh, I mean, and I would like to think that LinkedIn is not as bad here, but what, but you know, LinkedIn has kind of become business Facebook, which is where people essentially making their life look perfect. It's, you know, cause people will be like, Hey, 30 under 30, Hey, 40 under 40, yeah. hey, Inc, whatever. And pretty much when you read people's profiles, what you're doing is you're reading the, their curated content that to try to make them look as good, good as humanly possible. I mean, yeah. which of course is the the typical playbook. Now, uh, you know, just my experiences have really made me value authenticity, and so I tend to just you know scroll right past all the people who are just bragging about themselves all the yeah. time. 
Um, but I think that's one of the things that kind of doesn't really help your mental health when you're going through that, hey, I'm creating a lot of value. Why am I not getting paid? Oh, by the way, there's all these people who, yes. are, who seem to be killing it. What's wrong with me? All the time. <laughs> you're like, you just described my life. Literally every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that's um, in a way, and again, there's uh, there, there are no blessings that don't have curses. There are no curses that don't have blessings. Right. In a way, I think there's the silver lining there is that as you're going through that, you know, kind of repeated psychological trauma, what you really have, what you really develop the ability to do is to just say, hey, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to have to get cool with myself being who I am and where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I'm just going to have to develop the confidence in that and not, you know, and I'm not going to say not compare myself to other people because everyone compares themselves to other people. You know, when it, you know, when, when it really comes down to it, we're all primates who want to be at the top of the herd. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we don't admit it, but that's, that's really just how, you know, that that's unfortunately how we're designed. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you will compare yourself to other people and that's natural. What you can avoid doing is dwelling on that comparison and yeah. letting it define you. And, and I, think I think I'm starting to learn that too, a little bit. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And well, I mean, and the thing is, it's, it's something you have to relearn and, you know, because, well, cause like um, one uh, conversation I was having earlier today is how it's kind of funny how, you know, when, wherever you're at in your life, you know, if you ask, okay, well, you know, like, like, for example, you know, when I first started out of college and I was making like 40 grand a year, someone said, okay, well, you know what, you know, you know, what do you think success is? I was at 60 grand a year. When I'm making 60, what's success? 90. When no. I make 90, what's success? 150. Make 150, what's success? 200. It's, you know, wherever you're at, there's always that, okay, well, yeah, but there's something a little further out. Right. Well, and, and I think it's just so easy to fall onto that treadmill. And, you know, I think they, I don't necessarily think that the answer is to say, hey, you know, disavow all material possessions. We, sh- we shouldn't ever want to achieve anything. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't create value. You know, the, you right. know, the desire for achievement, achievement is what creates value. I think that what you have to do is you have to almost discipline yourself to kind of disconnect uh, your sense of value from those material achievements, right. which yeah. is very hard to do because it goes directly against about 200 years of, uh, of cultural immersion. Right. And it's like with my business, if I uh-huh. didn't have to worry about paying bills and all that, then I wouldn't care about money. It's like, yeah. I just like to do it for fun or because it's something I love to do, but when you need money to survive, well, it's funny how that works. <laughs> then it's like, you have to kind of worry about money or where it's going to come yeah. from or so yeah, it's like that. Exactly. It's like that catch 22. Yes. Well, I mean, and I, I, the, and the way that I think this can all be very, very productive is, you know, is when that desire to generate financial resources drives you to think about ways to improve your business in value added, you know, in, in, in value added ways. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, okay. So, you know, if we take your, your business, you make, you know, I would say, you know, I wouldn't want to limit it to glasswork. You, 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 in my view, I would say you make beautiful art. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I would say you, 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 you make works of art. Okay. Well, that is, it is a, you know, I think that that type of business is fulfilling. It, it is a, you know, a, a fulfilling craft mm-hmm. of love, but it is the least scalable business on the state of the planet. 
Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so that's where you might say, okay, well, well, in this case, all right. So is there like some kind of mastermind group that you can put together to, you know, kind of, you know, to collect people who are using art as almost a way of like psychological therapy? Um, it's like, you know, is, you know, is, is there some way that you can use kind of your, your core business as a conduit to something else that can be another stream, another form of monetization? And I think the, that's the natural evolution that a lot of businesses go through. And I think that the, the profit motive is actually very productive for that purpose. Again, mm -hmm. as long as it is the value first, money second, because once when, yeah. when you flip that around, you, 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 you end up in um, very unethical and uh, destructive territories. Pretty much. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, we've seen them all with the documentaries and yeah all those different things where money was first and the value just didn't matter or yes. was second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, precisely. And, and, you know, that, that type of thing, it just, it plays itself out over and over again and eventually it always falls apart. Yeah, no, it's true. What has been your favorite part and the hardest part about creating this business and your podcast? Mm -hmm. um, I think the, um, my, my favorite part has been that I've been able to meet so many new people that I mm -hmm. did not connect with when I, uh, you know, when I was in a corporate career and a little bit yeah. of a tangent here, uh, which is that actually, you know, for anybody who is listening to this, that's in a traditional career path, I would highly encourage you to actively network with people who are kind of one degree of separation away from you. Because like the problem I had, like when I was at Intel, I looked at my LinkedIn and I'm like, huh, everybody I know is also at Intel. Here's the thing. If I talk to one of them to get a recommendation, we all know probably 90% the same people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's the thing is networking with people who have an overlapping network doesn't actually help you that much. And so what you want to do is you want to actively lean into a, some uncomfortable networking to you know, engage with people who might be a couple of degrees removed from your normal circle. And I think mm -hmm. that probably is the biggest long-term benefit of where I'm going right now. Um, I would say that the, as far as the, the most difficult part, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's going through that, um, you know, that consistent feeling of failure that, okay, well, you know, if, you know, I, I could just be doing so much better if I just done things like everybody, like, like everybody else, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know and, and so there's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's just going through that, you know, th those, those consistent feelings that, you know, that you're doing something wrong or, you know, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I feel that a lot. I feel like a lot of business owners do. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, well, I mean, yeah. well and uh, precisely, I mean, because, you know, it, it, especially if you're getting an artisan type of business off the ground, um, you know, I think the, those types of businesses, they, they're literally a labor of love because you're, you're, you'll have hard costs for all your materials. It's, you know, it, it is, you know, it's time intensive and generally speaking, it's very hard to scale. And so yeah. that means you'll have a lot of upfront costs your revenue will come in fairly slowly and it will have a, usually have a pretty high production cost associated with it. And right. so a lot of times when you do the math, you're like, you know, it would not be hard for me to get a job that pays more than this. Or it's like, it's <clears> funny as <throat> because like you, you think you see this profit you're making, but it's like, yeah. where did the profit go? Where did it go? Yeah. It's going right back into the business. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Until and eventually you just make more than what you need. Yes. And then that's yeah. when you start to actually see the profit. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Yes. If you know, almost every uh, early stage bootstrap business is going to be reinvesting all of its net revenue. So to the extent that you have a profit, most time will be reinvesting it, in which mm-hmm. case you're like, you go, okay, you're, you're like, you know, I, I look on paper, it looks like I'm pretty successful. Why am I still so poor? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, this has been such a great conversation. And I really do feel like People can learn a lot about value versus monetary or just anything else. And I think it is so important. Um, I want to play a quick game with you. Okay. And then I'm going to let you tell us where we can find you. Outstanding. So first question, drink of choice. Okay. Um, Are we talking? Are we talking? Either. Whatever you want. I I, I was going to say, how PG-13 are we allowed to get you? You could be one of each. You could do whichever you want. Okay. Uh, all right. Oh, such a deep question. Okay. So I'm going to say uh, for, um, you know, for PG uh, coffee, um, you know, I, I, I generally, I put, I put fufu creamer, my first coffee of the day in the rest are black. Um, and then as far as, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, as, as far as my uh, PG 13 uh, drink of choice, it's just going to be whiskey neat. I like it. I like it. Favorite TV show, movie, or both? Oh, okay. This is a seriously deep question. All right. So, um, so as far as favorite movie, a uh, favorite movie of all time is 10 commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul mm-hmm. Brenner, 1956. Um, it's from forever, forever ago, but I, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, every year when Easter time came around, uh, 10 commandments would be on ABC. And mm-hmm. what I would do is I would always stop whatever we were doing, what I was doing <laughs> as soon as it came on to watch the show. And remember this last, uh, this last t- time, uh, last Easter season, it came on and I saw it. I was like, Oh, put on 10 commandments. My wife's like, she goes, you know, we have this on video, right? I go, well, yes, but it's it on matter. TV. Exactly. It's on TV. Um, so yes, I would say that's, um, you know, that, 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 that's probably my, uh, my favorite movie, a, just because, uh, well, Principally because, you know, as a kid, I'm a big fan of both Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the another thing that I just really love about it, looking at it with uh, kind of with with middle aged grown up eyes is that um, the, the Ten Commandments story actually, re, you know, ex- exceptionally personifies the hero's journey. Right. And so, like, yeah. for example, you, you think about, you know, there's Moses, his ordinary world. There's the call to adventure, tries to refuse the call. He's eventually drawn into the call. He has mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the, the, the harrowing experience, the crossing the desert, you know, the, the approach of the, the, you know, the approach to the inner cave. Now he has the grand challenge. He has to go back and free the Israelites from Egypt. And, you know, then he has the final challenge, you know, which is, you know, up on Mount Sinai and then the return with the elixir when he brings the, uh, the 10 commandments down and then, you know, d- down off the mountain. And then, you know, at the very end where they have the, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the return home, which is where the, the Israelites go to the promised land, right? It's all there, you know, right. it, it's all there, uh, you know, right, right in the story. And that's actually one of the things that you can, we're getting on a movie TV show tangent. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, I've become increasingly critical of, of movies as I've gotten older, because so many do such a bad job of articulating a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I think that special effects has almost destroyed good writing in, in movies because a good movie, a good anything will tell a story. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and this is actually one of the things that I've really been internalizing because a lot of my realm is B2B, you know, business to business, which is yeah. generally speaking, very dry and lifeless. And I'm like, okay, I believe that story selling can and does work anywhere. 
So, but what I have to do is figure out how to adapt it to people that aren't used to hearing it and companies that aren't used to financing it. <laughs> so that's so a little bit yeah. of an uphill battle. But, you know, storytelling is endemic to the human condition, right? People think and communicate in terms of stories. And so that's actually one of the things that I think is, you know, if I was going to give a piece of advice to the people who are listening to this show, uh, the number one you've already heard, which is value first, you know, you know if you know, mm-hmm. value focus first, you pursue value without regard, without thinking about money and the money will find you. Uh, but then the second is turn your business into, you know, turn your story into your business and never stop telling that story. Turn you know, every single conversation needs to become about one of the stories pertaining to your business. And yeah, you know, particularly as you know, if you're a you know a small entrepreneur, you know, your story is your business. And I think there's a there is a belief that that's not professional. And I think that's nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, you need to embrace the fact I that, do that your business and your story <laughs> are the same, same. thing. Well, I mean, and the other thing too, is that, you know, I think that the, um, you know, the old stodgy corporate, uh, this is professional, this isn't, that is rapidly dissipating. Um, you know, there, there is a big desire for authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it is, it's already there in the business to consumer uh, segment. And I think it's getting there in the business to business segment. This is another, this is another of my theories that I'm working on trying to prove out is because, you know, B2B is typically very dry and very unpersonal, which I yeah. think is why response rates tend to be so low. Um, you know, now, now it's one of those things where I will either hit a brick wall because, uh, you know, b- because no, it actually doesn't work in B2B, or I will, again, figure out how to find the holy grail. And it's going to be one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, so you kind of maybe just answered this next question, but maybe not. Um, advice to your younger self. Uh, so I, uh, I would say advice to my younger self would be uh, would would basically be to you know figure out what you really want and then just go do that you know go go that direction don't you know don't worry so much about uh, you know about about trying to rack up your income um, you know because that the the probably the I try not to regret but the one regret is how long I stuck around in my corporate career because the pay is good. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's what a lot of people end up doing. That's, the like what is, our, that's what we're told yeah. we're supposed to do. Yeah, that's, that's like, what we're told we're supposed to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, you know, you have to go to college or you have to go to college. You can get a good job and then you need to make sure, you know, that you money need, need and, to make sure you, you know, make, yeah. make good money and you can buy a house, you can pay for your mortgage, you can pay for your car. So, you know, and then, and, you know, and then you need to go to graduate school so you can, uh, you know, so you can qualify to, you know, to ascend even higher on the ladder. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the, the way that you prove how much you're worth is based on how much money you get paid and what your title looks yeah. like. And, um, you know, that's, there's kind of this cycle, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the tail end of generation X, you know, which is probably baby boom gen X is I think where that mentality, uh, kind of lands the hardest, you know, I think starting with the millennial generation, it's kind of starting to dissipate, but there's extreme pressure, uh, or I felt extreme pressure kind of in my parents and my generation where it's like, no, it's all about, right. You know, what's your career? How, how far are you getting, you know, what's your job? Well, you know, how, how Mm -hmm. much are you making? And, I think that's um, that that construct is starting to come apart. I think we're going to see it really. I think we're really going to see it unravel in about the next ten years. Yeah, I could see that, and I hope that is the case. Um, five words to describe yourself. 
Oh, let's see. I was going to say value obsessed leader, but that's three, <laughs> but that's only three. Exclamation, exclamation. Exclamation, <laughs> exclamation. There we go. <laughs> and the last Thanks one help, is, Alexa. you're welcome. And the last one, and I think you actually did talk about this earlier, but you can talk about your specific is actually what does success mean to you? <laughs> oh, so the, um, you know, what, what success really means to me is, is really, um, pursuing a career that I don't ever want to retire from. I mean, you know, this, this is with the boundary condition of being able to pay the bills, but, um, you know, but that, that, that's really the thing is the, I've, I have a, I've developed a bugaboo about the contemporary notion of retirement, which is basically that, Hey, you're supposed to spend 30 to 40 years working at a job you don't really like just because yeah. it pays really good money. And then you're supposed to plow as much as you can into tax incentive retirement plans so that when you inevitably get, you know, so that when you inevitably get fired, then what you can do is you can afford to do nothing for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, why is that people, why is that our dream? I don't know. What, 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 what about that sounds, sounds, in, sounds compelling. What, why is that our dream? <laughs> I, 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 I cannot be motivated by an ambition of doing nothing. Um, right. um, you know, I, you know, I, I would rather be motivated by an ambition of creating exceptional value for people uh, on a continual basis, and then reinvesting what I'm able to earn back into the community, you know, because, you know, at, you know after a certain point, you know, you, you do get to the point where you don't really need all that much more, you know, the, you're, mm -hmm. essentially what you'll do is you, it's, it's just different versions of basically throwing money away. Um, and so, you know, so what I would do is, right, you know, in, instead of just continuing to buy bigger boats, I would rather put money back into the community, whether it's through, like, you know, whether it's through the Rotary Club or whether it's through, you know, grants to uh, you know, scholarship grants or educational yeah. institutions or whatever. Um, but that's, you know, that, that, that's just, that's the way that I think about it. And I think that, you know, when you're kind of in that system, I don't want to say in the system, it makes me, you know, makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, kind of <laughs> when you're in an organization where everybody, you know, is following the, doing the exact same thing, it feels yeah. normal. Okay, okay, well, none of us really like our job, but we all get paid pretty well. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, um, you know, all of us are worried about fire, getting fired when we get older. So we're all saving a whole bunch of money. Okay, well, you know, when we, you know, when, when we all inevitably hit the end of our career, um, you know, it's going to be really hard for us to adjust because we'll have to go do something that we have no skills for and we'll make less than half of what we did before. And that's just really bruising on your ego. And yeah. so I think when you, you know, when you say all that stuff together from the outside, it sounds like nonsense. But if everyone you know is literally doing the exact same thing, it seems normal. Right. It's true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. And where can we find you? Uh, so as we said at the beginning, my podcast is terminalvaluepodcast.com. Uh, my website is terminalvalue.biz. Uh, but, and then for any of your uh, listeners who are actually, who are currently leaders, I actually have a, a set of free resources that I've put together. There are a series of uh, special reports and eBooks. You just go to resourcing.terminalvalue.biz. And what I'll, I have a white paper in there, which is how, which is, uh, tells you about how to uh, have, you know, basically how to hire top flight people without needing to pay an agency. And also uh, reports on some of the biggest mistakes leaderships uh, that, that leaders make that can really cost them big. And also just, you know, you know some of the, uh, the secrets for really finding and hiring top flight people. All right. And, well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, no problem. And I'd like to make that, uh, again, available for free at resourcing.terminalvalue.biz. 
and that'll all be in the description below. Um, this was another episode of Hey Alexa, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.